Good afternoon. You are listening to the Grit and Grace Recovery Hour talk radio show that is being brought to you by the Rockdale County Stepping Up Initiative. You can continue listening to us on the CAT 10 ENT network by downloading the His Hop Radio app. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the show. Out there in Radio Land, this is Bill, the host of Grit and Grace, the Recovery Hour. Today, as I always say, I have a real treat for you guys. However, before I get off to the cosmos, I would be remiss if I didn't first shout out our sponsors. Shout out to the Stepping Up Initiative and our fearless leader, Commissioner Doreen Williams. The Stepping Up Initiative is a national initiative that has been adopted here in Rockdale County to reduce the number of people in jail that have mental health, substance use disorders, and that look like us on the inside and on the outside. And you guys can do the math in your head on what that means, because for each and every one of us, it'll mean something else. But to every one of us, that is pertinent because we all are impacted. Our communities are impacted. I know when I first came into recovery, I thought I was the only one that needed help because <laughs> everybody was telling me, you need to get some help. You know, I thought I was the only one that needed help. But I have come to, after a couple of years and a couple of cups of coffee, I have come to understand that we all need help. And I understand that that help starts when we make connections, when we become connected, when we are all functioning together. And I know that for a lot of us, the only thing we can do together is eat because we can't sing together. And I don't even know if we can eat together. But I know that we're all suffering together. I know that we are all you know, we're all believing or not believing together in the same place at the same time. And anytime that we come together, things have the potential to get better because together we are stronger. So that's the whole purpose of the Grit and Grace Recovery Hour is to bring connections, to bring information and resources and hopefully revelation that will give people a better opportunity to live lives of whole health and wellness, to support their loved ones, to support themselves, to support the systems and the institutions that are striving to meet some of those burgeoning needs in our community. Because it's very easy for us to say they aren't doing it right. And it's not a they problem. It's a we problem. And, you know, a lot of people are looking for someone to blame or a lot of people want to believe that it's a they problem. I know that this is not a just a we problem, but this is a we solution. And so today, I have the pleasure and the privilege to bring to you guys a person that I, I can call friend, I call champion. I call hero, and and she's so humble that it embarrasses her. (laughs) Well, that's another good part about being a radio show host, because you get a chance to embarrass people, and, and, you know, they they have to get you later. They can't get you right now, because we're 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 live, right? But this is somebody who I met many years ago, and when I met her, it was because the people that supported me 
wanted to connect me with one of the most informed people about the process that I was getting ready to create. And they said, Bill, there's somebody that you just have to meet. And I said, okay, cool. And when I met her, <laughs> I, I, I must confess that they were right. It was somebody that I just had to meet. And when I met her, my life has never been the same. I could never go back to being as small as I was without her because with her, I'm on the double up. You know, with her, I'm living in the overflow. So without any further ado, I would like to introduce to you, all you people out there in radio land, Claudia Hamilton. Yay! And the crowd goes wild, right? Claudia, tell them your name and who you are. <laughs> uh, well, it used to be a real short who you are, but so I got along who I am now. So <laughs> Thanks for having me. My name is Claudia Hamilton. It has been 13 years since I had an experience misusing substances. Um, I also live with a mental health diagnosis successfully. I live successfully with a mental health diagnosis. I am the founder and former executive director of Living Proof Recovery and Next Door Transitional Housing. So today, um, I still get to extend that hand of recovery. The underlying mission of Living Proof, people often ask me, well, you know, you were there four years. Why? Why did you move on? Um, the underlying mission of the work that we did and, and still do at Living Proof is to give people in recovery a livable wage. And had I not moved out of the way, that wasn't possible for other people. And the hope wasn't possible for the people behind them. And so being able to provide publicly that opportunity to people is really what I love to see. And so I had a door open for me at United Way and I still get to do all the great stuff. And, you know, for me, belonging is the currency. It's the currency of recovery. It's the currency of community. It's the currency of relationships, belonging. If you can give someone a sense of belonging, you will never be without a friend. Yes. Wow. Wow, man. I. I... <laughs> It's like, this is like a musical show now, man, because your, <laughs> your voice is music to my heart. Um, you know, it, I, I have that rare privilege as well to be able to talk to people about this glorious process of recovery, not just for myself, but for other people. And, right. and for those of us, and another thing that we have in common is that we've dedicated our life to that process. And we've dedicated our life to a lot of things, but yeah. never anything as noble as that process, I'm sure. So, Claudia, I heard you say a couple of things, and I want to help people gain a little clarity because I know, but I want to make sure that the people out there in radio land have an opportunity to know as well. I heard you say that you're a person in recovery. So can you kind of give us some insight? Because when people hear recovery, I know there are a lot of misconceptions and a lot of conceptions that people try to, to put together. So let me ask you a question, Claudia. For you before recovery, Yikes. What, was, what I know, right? <laughs> and I'm sorry to take you back down that dark <laughs> Yeah, but before recovery, what was your life like? What was it like for you before recovery? Well, I did extensive tours to different detoxes and treatment centers and mental health facilities. I was a heroin addict. And for me, I had a son that was born into that addiction. He was 
taken by the state in 2006. So I often say, you know, in 2006, pretty much my life took a dramatic turn. I had lost custody of my son. I saw the police cars pull up and they gave my son that consolation uh, teddy bear that to me, it's it was to comfort him. But for me, it was like, that's all my role as a mother is boiled down to as a teddy bear. And that was super hard to accept for myself. And so he went in one car and I went in another car that had lights on it. And so <laughs> that wasn't my first trip to, to jail and it wasn't going to be my last. So for me, my faith is a big aspect of my recovery. And so once I got released out of jail, I went right back to using again. I did things that every addict does, um, the stealing, the lying, the cheating. You know, before I knew of Narcan, we used to revive people with cocaine. You know, like that's, that's mm -hmm. kind of where my recovery came from is just how can I not just thrive and live, but how do I survive? And I was in a state of psychosis most of the time. I didn't know what it was. I often called it, okay, I'm being transported. <laughs> Nobody knew what that meant but me. So I don't even know why I ever said it. I found that while every door inside my family and in my support group had been closed, bridges burned, my father, who is a doctor, he never really lost hope for me. And so he wouldn't let me in the house, but he often would answer the door and ask me, you know, how long do I have before you're sick? And so that particular day, it was two hours. So he took me into a, my last treatment facility, and that was in uh, 2007. And I stayed there. It was across the border in Alabama. They still do some things right. And um, so I, I stayed there. I had no idea how to be a parent, how to be a functioning member of society. I did my whole program. I went to the recovery housing. I had two full-time jobs. I worked from 5 to 2.30 and 2.30 to 11 for a year and a half so that I could pay my child support so that I could have a financial investment in my recovery. And so my son was in foster care for uh, four years. And what a frustrating thing to be in recovery for two and still have your son in state's care for an additional two. So um, went to court, would see him, I would go one way and he would go the other way for two years. And if it wasn't for some of my pathways to recovery, some of my support groups where um, I just kept hearing, don't give up no matter what, at four years in recovery and still not having my son, it was very easy for me to use that as an excuse and to just bow out. So I will say this because I was afforded opportunities that some weren't, but if it was not, for my probation officer, taking the weight of my recovery with him. We were doing my recovery together. And if it wasn't for my probation officer, I don't know if I could have navigated the services that I needed. I walked seven miles to go see my counselor. I'm, I walked everywhere. My probation officer, yes, I had about close to 500 hours of community service, but he would pick me up and take me to groups. He would um, make sure that I was involved in, in speaking engagements. He got my voice out in the community. He would drive me and pick me up from service work. He was just really a real vital part of my early recovery. And I can only say if anybody 
has a support like that, you are highly favored and blessed because that's how I feel. We're still great friends. He calls me and I call him. And, and so once I got back and kind of got my feet on the ground, um, I did get my son back. I did all the things that you hear in groups to not do. So I got married first year. First, let me preface this, but it does work for some people. It doesn't work for all people. So um, I, I got married. Well, first I got divorced because I think that's the right thing. So I got divorced from my first husband. Then I got remarried to somebody in the rooms, which we're still married today. So it has been a successful part. I got custody back of my son. And then about two years later, I had two kids. But still, I wondered, what on earth am I going to do with my life? I had no job history. I had never worked a day in my life. Never. And so I started to get involved in in Georgia Council and started to go to some of those trainings. And I got my care certificate and started to wonder, actually, at that point, they had already done some planning in Rome for an RCO. And I was invited to the last planning meeting before the symposium and didn't know that I was the one that was supposed to do it. (laughs) I thought I was just a person listening. But, you know, we had a great symposium and I took all that information and you couldn't rip it from my hands because now I was equipped with what my community needed. And I will. Can I cuss on here? No, probably not. So I. (laughs) Unfortunately, there was no way that anyone was going to pull that information from me. And so now I knew what my community needed. I still didn't have very many connections in the community. Some people knew me. Some people didn't. Some people wish they didn't. Um, And so I found a place in a church. Everything happened so quick. So um, I got my care certification in March and the RCO became an official 501c3 in June, same year. And in August, we started providing our first services in a borrowed space with a $25 a week operating budget. So I say that to say, if you have a dream, (laughs) don't wait on the money. Don't wait on the money. If you have a dream, just trust that it will fall into place. If it doesn't, then it probably wasn't for you. (laughs) Uh, So I took, my husband and I paid uh, $25 a week to childcare. um, And we operated like that for about four months, kind of uh, building little services. like So we started with a, a faith-based group and then we started with a CMA group and we always had childcare and we were outgrowing our space. We were so thankful for the church, but we just couldn't do it there anymore. And we also had no money. Granted, I also didn't have a bank account in my whole entire life and didn't know how banking works. So we had a fundraiser. We raised about $10,000, which was also not enough money to have a building. But I went to go deposit all those checks and just prayed to God in that parking lot that they weren't going to laugh at me because I didn't know how to fill out a deposit slip at 30 years old. I might've been a little bit older. Um, And so they didn't, they helped me. And so that was my first insight that not everybody in this community is against me. If I am transparent, I receive that same transparency back, whether it's good or bad. And so my husband he really believed in my vision for the, for living proof. He believed in it wholeheartedly, was sold out as much as I was. He said, well, why don't you just drive around and look for a building that you want? So I did, but my understanding of where I had come from 
<laughs> I started to look at, at properties and I wrote them all down. I brought them to my husband. We went and looked at them and he said, honey, I really think this is a great idea, but you can't do it in this trap house. <laughs> and so he was right because people in recovery, they deserve dignity. And I hadn't, I hadn't ever thought about that. Never crossed my mind that I need to provide a place that someone can walk into and expect the light switch to come on, to expect the toilet, to have water, power, and electricity all at once. I never yes. had that long time. I had to pick which one I was going to have for the month. And so we found one building used to be an old funeral home and I knew it was the one uh, I knew it was the building. And so we bought it and um, my husband and I bought the building, bought the property and realized shortly that there was no furniture. <laughs> and honestly, I thought, Hey, this is 6,400 square feet. How on earth am I going to fill this? How on earth are we going to be able to do this? And I promise you today, the current executive director would tell you, we don't have enough space. We just started to see things just take off. And for me, at being a high school graduate, period, it was really great to see my community start to see that recovery is not, I don't have a better term for this, but recovery is not just a bunch of junkies. It's not just a secret. It's not just a thing that people do in a, in a dark space. People recover in the light. People recover out front. People recover uh, with a voice. And so being able to start initiating that change and that old thinking in our community, it still is. But in the early, early years, it was such a dramatic shift that I really got to see firsthand people. They were taking on our language allies starting to take on our language and what a compliment really what a compliment um and so today every program is still there we 2018 started to develop a a home for women re-entering our community that would be homeless upon release that is called next door because i'm not crafty it's actually next door and so that place always has a waiting list and that came out of Catherine um, lovern and i's real investment in the jails. And we kept seeing women reoffending because they didn't have a safe place to go to. And that, I think I literally wept one day in there. Like, this is just so wrong. It's so wrong. They are reoffending because they are afraid to, to get out. And so being able to provide that and see it flourish like it does, it's incredible. It really is, so. Yes. We would like to thank our leader, Commissioner Dr. Doreen Williams, the Rockdale County Sheriff's Office, along with other numerous partners and stakeholders that are taking the initiative to create change for the Rockdale County recovery community. We know that it takes all parts of a community to carry out this vision and together we are stronger. So, you know, Claudia and everybody out there in Radio Land that can hear the sound of her voice, what you just heard, I know it's earth moving. I know it made the earth move under your feet. Claudia, I've known you for a long time and, you know, I've never heard those parts of your story, but now I know why you're my kindred spirit, right? <laughs> I, now I know, right? And, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's so incredible because I'm a person in long-term recovery as well. And to know that this process is real and is possible 
and it's not microwavable. And, and, you know, and to realize that that was not the mindset I had when I walked in the door. When I heard you talk about, and people out there need to hear this, law enforcement was the catalyst for my journey into recovery as well, right? And this is after an extensive criminal history that spanned four decades. So that means I have plenty of engagement with law enforcement. And, you know, I've been to probably most institutions on the East Coast. You know, I'm, every Georgia regional, central state, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> been there, done it. I got T-shirts, you know what I mean? Flip-flops and, and brown paper bags. You know, when it's your time, it's your time. And, and I think that us creating systems and networks and opportunities and possibilities. So when that time comes, there are people there with the net. You know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. and, you know, because so many times, and this is, you were talking about this thing that brought you to tears and breaks your heart, is so many times I see that window of opportunity that may not last long, you know? Right. And, and, and I, so many people die without their miracle. You know what I mean? They got one, but it's just not immediately available. And these years of being inside the community service boards and inside the provision of services, I've seen so many people that the, the system is designed to be counterproductive to their process of getting in to the process. <laughs> the, the process defeats the opportunity <clears throat> because people come and say, okay, I'm ready. And then you say, okay, but let me make a phone call. And we don't have any beds. And you don't meet the criteria. And you don't have any money. And you don't, you know what I'm saying? So you mentioned something in that process about living proof is an RCO. And so explain to the people out there what RCO means. RCO means, well, first of all, it stands for Recovery Community Organization, which I don't think is a new term to a lot of people. But what it means really is providing a place for peers to be people, <laughs> quite simply. How do, how do I become? How do I have hope? How do I organize my life? How do I get a job? Who's going to help me navigate this? Who's been there and done that? Who's going to walk alongside me in this courtroom? Who's going to help me gain a, a, a powerful voice where I can learn to speak for myself? Who is going to help me get a driver's license? Who's going to help me get a birth certificate? Who is not going to laugh at me because I don't know those things? And, you know, the, on the flip side of that, I think that the recovery community organization's role is also to help people become an active member of the community because I, our doors were never shut to only peers. We wanted community members to come in. We want to see this integration of people in recovery and small business owners, faith community. We want to see, uh, we want to showcase our value. You know, we all have value. They're all different. And that's really the essence to me of what is a recovery community organization. Yes, yes. And, and so, well, one of the reasons I wanted to bring that to people's attention, because you guys heard Claudia talk about living proof, recovery in Rome, and, and we every week this radio show is broadcast, and the, the author of that broadcast is Grit and Grace RCO, 
for recovery community organizations. And the reason that this messaging platforms are so important and the reason that we bring you such a diverse plethora of people and allies and people in recovery and all of these things is because, and we take it for granted, Claudia said something very important. And I remember people used to say this to me before I came in and people probably still say it to me today. You're such a smart guy. Why don't you just get your act together, right? And, and what they don't understand is I honestly didn't know how. You understand? And for me, being successful meant just not going to jail that in that moment. You know what I mean? And, and I didn't have a bigger vision. I didn't have a vision that involved belief. I didn't have a vision that involved hope. I didn't have a vision that involved destiny. I, it was not, I was not living in a positive universe. I, I was living in this negative doom-filled universe and expecting death at any moment. So, you know, and, and you were talking about, we used to revive ourselves. And I remember having to work in both arms. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and it's like, who does that? You know what I'm saying? I remember riding motorcycles and have works taped to my arm already in so that when I got to the maximum speed, I could just run it. And, and, you know, and it's like, because life had no value. My system of values were totally extinguished and there was no value left, especially not me. And, and you know, my head had a hit out on me. And, and you know, I, I, was, I was hurt. I grew up in an orphanage and I was hurt. I was hurt when I was a child and, and it, it happened so early that I didn't even remember what it was all about. I didn't even know when people saw me and they said, he's a monster. And they got me in the, you know, hanging up in the back in the holding cell and, you know, and I'm angry and I'm raging or they got me over medicated in Georgia regional. And I didn't even know why. I didn't know what had happened. All I knew is this is who I am. I am this monster. And, and the best thing that can happen is that I die. Because I had no vision. All these things that are happening in our lives today, I had absolutely no vision for that. And you, you mentioned something a moment ago, and, and I talk about this when I do my classes, because I do a lot of classes on gratitude. Every class that I do, I started out by saying, my name is Bill and I'm grateful. And people wonder, why does he always say he's grateful? Well, because when I flick the light switch and the light actually comes on, to me, it's like, yay, you know what I'm saying? And people are like, wow, that was such a simple thing. There must be something wrong with him. Well, I don't know. Maybe you've never had the cord going up to the pole. You know what I'm saying? And, and if anybody came, unplug that cord. Unplug that cord, man. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, <laughs> maybe you, yeah, maybe you, nobody's ever said, do you smell something burning? <laughs> oh, no, shit. You know, and we got heaters and, and all kinds of stuff all plugged into this one extension cord that's running to the people's house next door and they don't know it, you know, and, and you know, to be in a place that there are no roaches running across the floor and nothing has crawled over your hand, that there's no feces on the floor, mm. that there, there is more food than, there's food, period. 
you know, and, and you're not eating something out of a can and you just put sugar on it because you hate whatever it is, but you ain't ate nothing in days, you know, and, and people don't realize that that abandonment that we lived in and that people are living in today that is void of resources. They don't realize that people can't see the way out of that. Everybody does not know what you know. And, right. and, and people need, they, they don't need a handout. They need a hand that will, that's not afraid to touch their hand and, and that doesn't recoil when you walk up. People, you know, people are under the misconception that just because I'm down, I can't see you looking down on me, mm -hmm. you know, and there's no level playing field and my self-esteem, you know, people can't imagine what does self-esteem mean to someone who doesn't have a self? You know what yeah. I mean? And it's like, <laughs> there is no me. And so every bad thing you've done to me or every bad thing you say to me or everything that is refused of me, it only reinforces for me that I am this monster. And, and if I'm going to get anything, I got to take it. So like I said, one of the things we have in common, Claudia, when I came in, the doorway to recovery for me came at 50 years old. And, and the only reason it came is because I was, I was taking L's. I was too tired. I could not run the police. I could not run the dope boy. I'm taking L's, man. And the dope wasn't no good. Everybody's the police. I'm like, oh man, I was waking up with money in my pocket. You know what I'm saying? No respectable dope fiend. If you wake up with money in your pocket, it's time for you to retire. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I don't even want to go across town at four o'clock in the morning to get that little piece of stuff that ain't no good because I can't go where the good stuff is because I owe everybody over there. And, and it, I can't run the gauntlet one more time. So let's let's stop at Burger King and get some biscuits. I'm going home, you know? And, and when, when that's happened to a dope fiend, it's time to retire. And the tragic part about it, probably for 10 or 15 years, I was in that that state of being and I couldn't jump off of the, I couldn't jump off of the, the runaway train. I couldn't jump off of the wagon or I couldn't jump off of the horse because I didn't know how. Mm -hmm. and, and if it wasn't for my probation officer, uh, Miss Champion, <laughs> Miss Champion, <laughs> she offered me 15 years or, or she gave me that last opportunity. She said, I'm gonna tell you what, you got two dirty urns, you got one more. I could lock you up today and serve you and get, take you to a probation revocation hearing. And I know I can get about two years out of you, or I will let you sign this paper and go home today. And I'm like, Hand me the really? pen. <laughs> I got right. Give me the pen. She said, nope, but before you sign it, I want to explain something to you. If you sign that paper and leave today, the next time that you have a dirty urine, you are going directly to prison. You're going to do 15 years. You're going to waive your probation revocation hearing, and you're going to bring the 15 to the door, which is the most fatal deal you could get. And I still signed it. <laughs> I still say, okay, give me the paper. Right. And I walked out of the door and I realized when I walked out that door, there is absolutely no way that I am not going to go get one. And I had to. I believe that, that somebody had to lock me up or cut off my feet. There was no way that I, I didn't believe that I could stop. And, and, and so gratefully, I found the, oh man, I found the, the door. 
at the bottom of my life, I found the doorway, the opening door to recovery. I know that you also mentioned the Georgia Council on Substance Abuse and you mentioned the CARES. So could you tell the people out there and shout out to our partners and one of our sponsors and one of our partners who we are so proud and privileged to have, the Georgia Council on Substance Abuse, which is one of the premier organizations in the United States for the implementation and the creation of the peer workforce. Also shout out to Georgia Mental Health Consumer Network, which is one of the premier organizations in the United States for the creation and facilitation of the workforce. The Georgia Council on Substance Abuse, creating the addictive disease workforce and the Georgia uh, Mental Health Consumer Network for creating the CPS or Certified Peer Specialist Project for mental health, for whole health, and now the Forensic Peer Mentor Project, of which I am all of those, because all of those things were things that once strove to tear me apart, once strove to just facilitate failure. <laughs> when people said, what's wrong with you? I had so many things was wrong with me, I didn't know which one to tell you, you know what I mean? It's like, pick one. I don't know, you know, so... I also, I also want, would be remiss to not give my support and, and verbally say thank you to Georgia Council and to um, Georgia Mental Health Consumer Network. I also have those certifications, but also to, to feel a part of something as an organization, right? So when Georgia Council says, you're a part of our RCO network, okay. You know, I had ne- it goes back to that belonging. You you feel like you belong to something. You'll never go without a friend to call. And so that that was a good feeling to, to feel like, OK, I belong to a network in this state that's trying to do the same work. And how can how can we have conversations because we both belong to the same network? You're yeah. absolutely, you're absolutely right. And, and along those lines, another thing that I would like to speak to for all the people out there that can hear the sound of my voice in Radio Land, you hear us talking about the Georgia Council on Substance Abuse. You heard us talk about the Georgia Mental Health Consumer Network. You, you heard us talk about the, the certified peer specialist projects. And, and what one of the things that happened for me was even after I stopped using drugs, and I had been sober for a couple years. And I still had absolutely no idea what to do because I didn't have a GD. I never had a job. That's another thing we have in common. I had never had a job. Um, I had no resume. Um, I had no positive marketable skill that the earth people could identify. <laughs> Let me be very careful how I put that. I had some skills. <laughs> not positive and earth people would not identify those as pluses however if you convert them to recovery capital yay right you know so when when i came in and i had been in for a couple years and i i got this this opportunity through the national alliance on mental illness shout out to nami and shout out to nora haynes they had an experimental project they were doing called Opening Doors to Recovery, which is a three-person intensive case management model. They were implementing something new, and they needed a test pilot for an unmanned spacecraft. <laughs> and so I was coming to Aftercare, and they said, we think he would be great, right? And, and so they gave me the opportunity, and that's one of the, some of the mandates for me. They hired me before I had the GED. 
they hired me before I had the certification and they gave me six months to get them all. And then they gave me a caseload of 25 people and a computer and some keys and a car and say, go to <laughs> But anyway, unmanned yeah. spacecraft. But anyway, that's when I got connected with the Georgia Council and the CARES. And, and I'm going to be honest with you. CARES changed my life. They taught me a new way to think, a new way to talk, that I met my tribe. I met people who were in recovery, who were facilitating recovery. And, and I mean, on this whole level. And, and I'll never forget the day that I went to CARES training in the First day I got there and I sat down, I sat next to George. <laughs> I sat next to George. I didn't know that day what oxytocin was, but guess what? I know now. <laughs> and every time I see him, man, I'm like, you know, he just got through coming here and doing one of our leadership workshops for us. And, and I, I, I never forget. I'll never forget. And Neil was there and Dr. Deidre was there and Owen was there and George was there. And, and I sat next to George. And when they started the roundtable conversation, they started out with me. And I attributed that to sitting next to him. <laughs> but, you know, those are people that when I heard about the science of addiction and facilitating recovery dialogues and the care, the check-ins and the PCOMs and all those things that I use in my work on a day-to-day -day basis. I realized that they changed my brain chemistry. They changed the way I talk. They changed the way I think. Not only that, but the waivers that are built in for people and shout out to the Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Disability. They didn't have the waiver then, but they have the waiver now so that people with criminal histories can become gainfully employed. And it, you know, there was a time when having a criminal history was like a death sentence. Well, for the field of recovery, it can be a life sentence. You know what I mean? And I mean life sentence on a positive note as opposed to the one they used to be trying to give me, right? right? And, and I, just, I just wish everybody had the opportunity. That's why in all of my work, I stand on those promises and, and I stand on the, the fiber of that work. And, and when I send people to those trainings and they come back and say, Mr. Bill, they was talking about the same thing that we've been learning in class the whole time. I'm like, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yes, plagiarism is a thing. You know, uh, it, it's like, you know, what a life-changing process. And, and, you know, also I had the opportunity to be part of the building of the Mosaic Place and now, being part of the construction of grit and grace, the RCO. And I remember when I was trying to do that and I came to Living Proof and uh, Bonnie, shout out to Bonnie Moore with Nami, you know, and, and I remember when Bonnie told me, she said, you got to meet this lady. <laughs> you got to meet her, Bill. She can plug you in, man. And, and you know, she was right. She was right. You know, Claudia, I just want to thank you so much. I want to thank you so much for all the things you do. But I want to ask you another question because all the people out there in Radio Land, they probably want to know, Claudia, why do you do what you do? What is your why? Because people, mm -hmm. people know some of the what. They've heard some of the what you do. But what is the why? I think the why... 
for me and the why for what I do in the community are two different things. Why I keep doing what I'm doing for recovery and for mental health awareness is because they are both, um, they're still marginalized. And until things totally change, someone has to have a voice that's loud enough, that's powerful enough, that will not shut up. I will not shut up. (laughs) I will not shut up. I can't tell you how many times a day that I say I will not shut up. I expect a yes. When I go to ask questions, I expect a yes. My why is that I don't believe that anyone that has a mental health challenge or has a substance use disorder belongs incarcerated. I do not believe that. And until the day comes that that is that we do treatment and rehabilitation over incarceration until that day comes, maybe I can take a deep breath. You're absolutely right. We would like to take a moment to acknowledge some of our partners in recovery. We are appreciative partners of the Georgia Mental Health Consumer Network and would like to acknowledge them for providing peers with mental health resources and opportunities to become certified peer specialists in specific domains of their recovery. You can visit their website by going to www.gmhcn.org. We are also proud to be in partnership with the Georgia Council on Substance Abuse. They provide multiple recovery resources in the CARES Support Warm Line. You can visit their website by going to gasubstanceabuse.org. And and so one of the things that, shout out to Dexter Kilgore, Dennis Pass, and all the people out at the Sheriff's Office here in Rockdale uh, about Four weeks ago, they let us start bringing recovery programs into the jail. Yeah, yeah, you know, they had an incredible RSAP program already. Obviously, people from AA and NA were going into the jails. Obviously, faith-based communities were going into jails, but they let me in. <laughs> you know, and that that's a, one of those things, I can't remember exactly what you call it, but it's like, man, you know, they won't let me in jail and I spent my whole life in jail. You know what I mean? I know law enforcement people that had to retire when I stopped doing crime because they had too many people then. You know what I mean? And it's like, then when things get better and you want to bring that in there and they were saying, well, we're already doing that or we already have that or no, no, we don't really. And sometimes for people to be one, they need to see one. Because I hear a lot of people that have gripes and you and I were laughing about it earlier because you you said, can we use profanity here? And and this is the thing. And I get a lot of from people about my use of profanity. And don't get me wrong. I know God has a plan for my life. I get it. I know, you know, I know about professionalism. I know about ethics. Believe me. However, when I came in, if you didn't use profanity, I was not going to listen to you. I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm just a real person. I'm just yes. a real yes. person. Yes. About going back to the jail thing, I was told no, that we, they would not accept recovery um, support services in their jail. But like I said before, I expect a yes. And so I still, ha- I still had this really good manipulative 
thing that I hadn't quite worked on yet. And so I was like, you know what? I will just become a chaplain <laughs> and I will work that in. Yes. And that's what I did. Uh, so I started out as a chaplain and I started to go in, into these blocks and, and talk about recovery and their voice their voice about how recovery was impacting their stay in that facility is what changed it. Yes. And, and, you know, that's exactly the same thing that happened here because I remember almost two years ago, the commissioner and I went and sat down with leadership and told them we wanted to bring it in. You know, they, well, you know, I mean, we talked about liabilities and we talked about all that stuff <laughs> <laughs> and, and it took a moment, but the evidence, in the interim, when COVID came and everybody left and we created those digital platforms, shout out to Dr. Deidre Hawkins, because me and Deidre had just done this big thing with NAMI and she exposed me to Zoom, right? Or at least she was using it, I was there. And then when, when I realized that they were getting ready to shut the earth down, I called her and I said, Deidre, man, you can explain to me how to work that Zoom thing. <laughs> and she said, I got you, Bill. And, and she explained it to me. The next thing you know, we got Zoom up and running here, and that was on March 17th, and we've had two groups a day every day since then. You know That's what correct. I mean? And, yeah. and, and, you know, just numbers that are off the hook phenomenally increased, increased their uh, engagement numbers and blah, 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 and that also is under the umbrella of grit and grace and the stepping up initiative. It was the evidence of that that changed their mind. So for all the people out there that are combating compassion fatigue and all the people out there that are getting doors slammed in their face and people are saying, no, no, no. Like you say, find your collective voice. Don't take no for an answer. No. You know, because this is no work for the faint at heart. So if you are faint, if you feel like you're getting ready to faint, you should probably drink some water, sit down, regroup do your whatever you do, prayer, meditation, yoga, however you support your recovery. And then remember, don't forget, stand back up. You know what I mean? And when you stand up, run it. You know what I'm saying? And so with that being said, Claudia, I want to ask you another question. All the people out there in Radio Land that can hear the sound of your voice, Tell them about some of the things that are working, some of the things, your hopes, your dreams, your visions. Tell them about some of the things that you foresee are the cutting edge for change and recovery moving forward in our communities. Well, I don't think it's cutting edge and I don't think it's a new idea, but it is something that, that no one's done <laughs> because it's hard. You know, it's hard. It involves time. It involves meetings. And, and so what I'm doing, I currently work for United Way. And um, what I am doing is, is called 706 United. 706 is our area code. And our county, and this is, this is across the state of Georgia. This is not going to be a, a unique problem. But our city and our county are segregated. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there, there is no linkage except for that area code. They belong to the same area code. So the United Way's mission is, is um, working with Rome City and Floyd County. And so when I came on, that was my first question is, what are we doing with the mission in the county? And so I'm, I've taken pockets of Floyd County and started to do some community asset mapping, meeting with their city council, asking for their feedback. What do they need here? 
and really getting the feedback. We have a survey that we give out to the county um, to residents. What do they need? Because we don't want to duplicate existing services. And we have 60 nonprofits in our city and zero in our county. I take the information that I've learned from this county and reach back out to our city nonprofits and say, hey, I've done the legwork for you. There's no question that this area needs this resource. Can you provide it? And if not, how can we support you to provide it? Do you need funding? Do you need volunteers? And so I'm doing that because ultimately it always goes back to belonging for me. And if they feel like they belong, the community stronger, everything about the challenges and the barriers, they start to disappear. Uh, People start to work together more. And so I love to see that. I love to see that. Um, And so I've kind of moved from just really working with substance use disorder and and all those activities that go with it, RCO work. And and I've really mostly just worked now in community because I realized that my voice is not just for recovery. It's not. I've, I know lots of challenges and lots of barriers other than substance misuse and mental health. I know a lot. I mean, I learned a lot. And I just think, you know, I'm, I'm confident that God really has grown my skill set. <laughs> um, and I've, I've, I feel like what's happening in this work is that a lot of stigma is, is being changed. A lot of old thinking is being turned around. And I love that. I love being able to be a part of someone. I love hearing somebody say something that could potentially be offensive, but it's only because of lack of knowledge. And yes. then hearing them say something that is compassionate and expresses a compassionate statement for someone else. And I love seeing that change. And I see it a lot, but it is, it's in the details of it all as being able to really listen. And so, yeah, that's, that's the work I love to do. Yes. And and so I want to ask you, I want to go back because it was something that I meant to ask you because I know that people out there will kind of want to know. And a lot of times people, because I get thousands of phone calls and people are asking me, I need help or my son needs help or my brother needs help or my father needs help or my husband needs help. And so let me ask you a question. What were some of the programs or some of the things or some of the steps, <laughs> the steps, what were some of the things that worked that were catalysts for your recovery? What were some of the things that you did that brought you in, kept you in, and now keeps you in recovery? How do you support it? So when I listen to you talk, I do hear so many similarities in in our stories. The daytime roaches. Yeah, I had those. Um, You know, the 15 year sentence had that. I I, I signed the paper too. And um, but I think what really um, kept me and the 15 year sentence didn't keep me. I wasn't really worried about that. But what I did prior to that, the decisions I made for myself had kept me. And so, um, I had to have detox, you know, I, I, that was, that's just a have to for, for me, uh, what, 12 years ago being detox in Bartow County jail and being given Benadryl as a detox medicine was, it was horrible. You know, there's no other word for that, but just petrifying, you know, petrifying. I'm going to die here. Yes. Um, and so I, detox had definitely helped if treatment is something that you've been to before and it didn't work for you, I always say try it again or don't. 
here's some other options. Uh, for me, it was, I needed it again. I needed to hear it in a new way. And I did, and I, I did outpatient and I had to find some place to unpack my grief case. So I had a lot yes. of grief you that, you know, from childhood carrying it around and I never unpacked the grief case. The grief case went with me everywhere. It was my only belonging. It was, you know, I might leave my socks and shoes behind, but dang it, if the grief case is not going to go with me, it's coming. Um, so I never had anybody that would sit down with me and say, let's open that mess up and look at it. And so I was fortunate enough to have several places and several counselors that helped me do that. And so that really got me on, on the track. And then I was through Georgia Council and their whole um, aspect of multiple pathways. I started to realize I don't have to do it the way the person next to me does it because this is their journey and it is not my business. My journey is not their business. I'll share it with them, but it's not going to dictate how I do my recovery. And so I'm also okay with what I did last year. I might try something new this year. I might try a different thing. Doesn't mean that I'm not in recovery. Doesn't mean that um, she's slipping. Uh, it means that I'm, I'm brave enough and I'm solid enough in my recovery that I'm willing to try a different activity to keep me in recovery. But it always, for me, it always goes back to a meeting. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't go as much as I used to go, but I had a meeting a week um, because I want to do other stuff. I want to be, have that voice of recovery integrated into my community. And so, uh, you know, I join clubs that are not recovery oriented just so I can bring that information into their conversation. Yes. Yes. Wow, man. <laughs> That's why you're my hero. And, and so one last question, because I, I, you know, I, I could sit and talk to you forever, man. Because you speak to me in my native language, man, and, and <laughs> it's so refreshing, you know, to sit down with the teacher, you know what I mean? It's like, yay, you know, um, but I'm going to ask you this. If you had any message for the people out there in Radio Land, so everybody out there in Radio Land, this is Bill, and I'm here with Grit and Grace, the Recovery Hour. Once again, shout out to the Stepping Up Initiative. Shout out to Rockdale County Sheriff's Office. A shout out for Dexter Kilgore bring, helping me get them programs inside that jail. Shout out to Brenda Ernest, who's going into jail and cutting people loose, man. Shout out to Judge Bills, who's up there in Superior Court Judge, who's moving and shaking and being part and supporting was one of our greatest allies. I'll never forget the day I saw her out there in the Duncan booth and, and people were throwing rocks through the windows of the building next door trying to hit the thing. You know what I'm saying? And, and I never saw a judge, you know, no, man, not where I come from. They're something doing something draconian. They're not doing anything pro-social. Um, you know, I, I just, um, I, I just, I'm just amazed. I'm just amazed. I, you know, I know that recovery is not microwavable. Social change isn't either. I know a lot of people have strived and struggled and fought and died and everything for this progressive change. And it's taken decades and, and, and millennia. I, yeah, I get it. And, and just to be part of that is, is the greatest privilege I've ever had in my life. And so today we got Claudia Hamilton with us and, and she has done so many things, but I'm gonna ask her one more question. So I want everybody out there in Radio Land to put your ears real close to your radio or turn the volume up real loud because you're not gonna wanna miss what she says. Claudia, what message do you have for all the people out there in Radio Land? What would you like for them to take away with them? No pressure, Bill, thanks. 
<laughs> no pressure. Yeah, I know, right? Yay. I think what I would say, because I like things that are short and sweet. Um, so I think I would say, um, get up, speak out, walk on. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's right. That's why I love you, Claudia, because you don't make it too complicated for me. You know what I'm saying? Because if it's too complicated, I will overthink it. I'll mess it up, right? So there you go. And I always tell people the same thing. I, I keep it real short. Don't hit anybody. Don't do no dope and don't leave before the miracle happens. Boom. And there you go. And if you do that, you can't fail because God will do the rest. Anyway, Claudia, I want to, once again, man, put them up very bottom of my heart, man. And, and I know a lot of people think that my heart's upside down and you know, all that. But anyway, is that what they think will not change what we believe. You know, I, I just want to, from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for being an advocate, an ally, a friend, a warrior, you know, just all of those things that you are that just speak to the very core of me. Always have, always will. Never quit, never settle. You know what I'm saying? I want to thank you for just being you. I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to do this radio show. <laughs> this is going to be one of the golden ones. And I will, you know, everybody out there, you can hear this radio show. We got so many different social media outlets. We're getting ready to do some movers and shakers on recovery month. We're going to have a motorcycle rally. We're going to have the Oscars for recovery. We're going to also be in Athens at the Accountability Court Judges Conference. We're going to be lighting them up again. We are back. Nudge from a judge part two. We got some things happening over here in Rockdale. And one of the things we had happen today was Claudia Hamilton. Claudia, I want to thank you for your time as always. And if there's anything we can do for you, you call us and we're coming. You know it. What an honor to be invited to be on a radio show. Really. Yay. It's, I there so appreciate it. Thank you, Claudia. Everybody out there in Radio Land, you'll be able to get this broadcast Wednesdays from 12 to 1 on His Hop Nation. That will be the Cat 10 Entertainment. Cat 10, E-N-T. You'll find it under the His Hop Nation. And you can also get it on Anchor, Spotify, all those podcasts and all those other things. Anyway, with that being said, you be blessed and God will do the rest. All right, Claudia. Yay. Bye. Thank you for tuning in and feeding your recovery with another episode of the Grit and Grace Recovery Hour. Remember that you can stay connected with us by following us on Facebook and Instagram at Grit and Grace RCO or just keep coming back every Wednesday at 12 noon. Until then, and as always, cherish the chips you hold.